0: Okay, we are going to be reading out of Acts chapter 21, and we're going to pick it up. We're going to pick it up from verse uh, verse 10. Now, let me just say that when we're reading the scriptures, what I really want to be able to do is look at the scriptures and look at what the scriptures say. We all get preconceived notions and notions from our background on on what the church must have been like and what things were like and what things are like and what's sin and what's not sin. But very often it's different when you look at the Scriptures. The Scriptures teach us things that that really enlighten us. And so for things to surprise us is a good thing. We ought to read the Scriptures and, and get surprises and say, hey, I didn't know that hey, I didn't know that I was sinning when I was doing that, or, oh, I didn't know that that was okay. That that I want to be able to learn from the Scriptures, see what it says, and go on from there. So that's what we want to be able to, to discern. And, and keep an open mind that maybe we don't have it all together. Maybe we're not all understanding it at this moment. And begin to understand new things from the Scriptures. That's what we want to begin to see. Alright, so we're going to read Acts Chapter 21, reading from verse 10. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, We, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered and said, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. Okay, so Paul is staying in the house of Philip the Evangelist. And after he had been there for some days, this is in the city of Caesarea, which is right there on the the Mediterranean coast. It's about uh, 60 miles from Jerusalem, 60 miles west of Jerusalem. There's a prophet named Agabus. And we had seen the prophet Agabus earlier on in this book. I believe it was in Acts chapter 11. He was the one who had prophesied of the, the coming famine, which indeed took place. And so this is a tested prophet came. And so what Paul does, he doesn't go into explaining much about Agabus because we, he assumes, I'm, I'm sorry, what Luke does, who wrote this book, he assumes we know about Agabus from the previous chapters that we had read. And so he says Agabus, who is a tested prophet now, comes and he binds, his, he took a, a belt and he bound his own hands and feet took Paul's belt and did that, did that. And he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So a prophecy goes forth. And this is very much in keeping with the way Old Testament prophecies came forth. Often prophets would do something in the physical to, to, uh, 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 to match up with what they were prophesying was going to happen. And so it says when they heard this, Luke says, we, along with the local residents, so Luke at this point is traveling with Paul. Remember, Luke travels with Paul for some time then stops traveling and travels with Paul again. And you can tell whether he says we or they, whether he's with Paul or not. And, and uh, uh, they beg Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And they're begging him because they don't want him to be bound, because they really believe that this is what's going to happen. And Paul says, look, I'm not willing just to be bound, I'm willing to go and die. God never told Paul not to go. All he said was, this is what's going to happen. If we only look out for our safety, if you want to be safe, don't tell anyone about Jesus. If you don't ever want your feelings hurt, don't ever tell anyone about Jesus. Safety is not what Jesus calls us to. It is not. And you see that with Paul. Paul says, I'm willing to die for him, not just to be bound. Never do we see God telling Paul not to go. And in fact, we see just the opposite. We see that God concurs with Paul that he should have gone, that he did go, and he even encourages him on in the midst of it when the imprisonment begins. Paul is quite willing to go. And you will see there will be times in your life where people will try to restrict you from doing God's will because they're afraid for you and honestly they're afraid for you. They're afraid for your welfare, for your goodness. I'll give you an example. My own parents were very concerned with me when I as a college student started to talk a lot about Jesus and tell a lot of students about Jesus. And then they became concerned for me in my career. That why am I, you, you know, as an assistant professor, telling people about Jesus? You know, it's, it's going to be hard to get tenure if you do that. And, and my thought was, no, this is what I've been called to do. And at this point, after all these years, they've just given up. You know, they just figure, if, if he hasn't been killed now, you, you know, there's, there's nothing that's going to happen. But my own colleagues used to be concerned for me. I had people in the religion department, when I was a new assistant professor, saying... That uh, uh, if, if I had been in their department, in the religion department, saying and doing the things that I do on campuses, I would never get tenure. And I never worried about the tenure issue. And in fact, I got it after three years. Usually I have to wait seven years to get it. So God really took care of all of that. So I never even came up to the point where I even had to concern myself with it. But you see that there will always be people that mean our good. They're just trying to protect us, but it is not God's way. God has called us to something very different. And this is what Paul says, and he goes on into Jerusalem. Now let's look in Acts 21, verse 15. And after these days, we got ready and we started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Nason's house of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing, with whom we were to lodge. And after we, we arrived at Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, and the following day, Paul went in with us to, uh, to James, and all the elders were present. And after he had greeted them, he began to relate. Uh, and after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began to glorify God. And they said to him, "You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed." And they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to... the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. Okay, so what on earth is going on here? This is a super interesting passage. Remember what we want to do when we read the Scriptures. We want to look at the Scriptures and say, what does it say? What are the Scriptures saying? And then also what we want to say is, God, speak to me a message through the Scriptures. And that's a good thing for your own personal Bible study. To read and say, what is the Scripture saying? And say, God, what are you speaking to me today through this passage? And God will speak to you For that day, He'll speak to you concerning the things coming that day. God does this through the Scriptures. He does it all the time in my life. I ask God, speak to me. Speak to me a message. And all of a sudden, it just comes alive. Wow, that's actually sort of like what's going on in my life and just what I'm going to be confronting today. That's what's good about the Scriptures. God speaks. God speaks. Primarily to us through the scriptures, and I, you know, God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. We can be walking along; and He drops a word in our heart. He speaks to us through other people. He does, speaks to us in many ways, but primarily through the scriptures, He will speak to us. Because what happens in my own mind, and I'll tell you what happens with my mind is, I can hear what I want to hear a lot of times. So, so if I want something, God speaks to me. I think. In my own mind. Now, God sometimes does speak, but I am prone to making big mistakes. I really am in in hearing God. But from the scriptures, it is amazing how clearly and accurately God can speak to us. So it says that after, it says after these days, so after his time in Philip's house, it says that they started on their way to Jerusalem. So remember, it's about 60 miles. And, and it's, so it's at least a couple of days journey, probably three or four days journey. So they, they walk to Jerusalem, and they stay in this guy, uh, Mason's house at Cyprus, he, who was from Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. Being a disciple of long standing probably means it dates this person, Mason, back to one of the original disciples from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is when this large group of disciples came in, and that was on, the, on that day of Pentecost when Peter preached the gospel and there was this large group that, that had come in. If it wasn't from that original group, it was from some early group. He had been a disciple of longstanding. So that's the home that they were staying in. They were staying with other believers in Jerusalem. And it, after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So they welcomed them. They were glad to see Paul and the other brethren that had been out witnessing to the Gentiles. There was no problem with that. It says, on the following day, in verse 18, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So, here is the Jerusalem church. Remember, we learned from Acts chapter 15 that the leading person in the Jerusalem church was no longer one of the original apostles. It was James, the half-brother of the Lord, because James was the one who culminated the meeting in Acts chapter 15, having prescribed what the Gentiles should do to abstain from, from going astray. And, and uh, uh, so they meet James. Where's all the other apostles that had been out in Jerusalem? They're probably out being apostles. Remember, the apostles dispersed and they were out witnessing. So running the church now is James, the half-brother of the Lord, and the elders. So you see the transition. The local church here transitioned from being under the apostles' leadership to being under the elders. A group of people who were not apostles, but they were the elders. They were the leading person in that local body of Christ. And so this is a good lesson for us. That it had transitioned from being under the apostleship to being under the local body of Christ there. And then it says uh, um, in verse 19, They greeted them and Paul began to relate to them. And Luke and the people who had traveled with him on this missionary journey related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. So Paul is giving his missionary talk. So if it were today, Paul would come in and he'd flip open his laptop and, and he'd start showing PowerPoint slides from what had occurred. This is what he did. So he went up there and he started telling them one by one the things that occurred. And this is, this is again a missionary report to the church in Jerusalem. And the other thing that, remember, that he was doing when he would come down to Jerusalem is he would bring gifts with him that he would, he would acquire gifts and he would acquire gifts from the Gentile churches. He would always say, Let, let's get a gift for the needy in Jerusalem, supporting those who are in Jerusalem. This is a great blessing and a great secret. You know, there was a, there was a centurion who called Jesus to his house. And, and Jesus started to come to his house because the centurion's slave was sick. And remember that story. So Jesus is, it says, you, you know, he hears this and he starts walking to the centurion's house to heal the, the sick slave. Centurion sends a, a party there and says, don't, don't even bother coming to my house. Just speak the word and he'll be okay. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. He speaks the word and the, and, 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 and the slave is okay. Why did Jesus go to the centurion's house? Because remember, there was a, 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 a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter... Uh, uh, was possessed by a demon, and she begged Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus said, "Look, you know, I came for the lost children of the house of Israel." And then she and he, and he said, "Look, it's not good to take the food that's for the children and give it to dogs." And she said, "Well, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the children's plates." And so he, he saw that she had great faith. He said, "Good enough. Your daughter's made well." Why was he reluctant with the Syrophoenician woman? Why didn't he go into into Gentile cities and witness? But he did immediately for this centurion. And there are two instances of this. And it's because this centurion, it says, donated gifts to the Jewish people. He loved them. And he blessed their city. And so, when, when, yes, Jesus immediately went to his house. Why? Because the Scriptures, God said to Abraham, Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. You want a blessing? Go be good to the Jewish people. That's what the Scriptures say. Those who bless you, Abraham, those who bless you, bless your offspring, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. You want to be cursed in your life? Go ahead, curse the Jewish people. The Jewish people don't do everything right. And so when you hear people talking about them, negative things just have nothing to do with the conversation. But go and bless the Jewish people. And that's what Paul did. He knew that the Gentiles would receive a blessing by taking up offerings. He would bring it to Jerusalem and deliver it. But now, look what James says to him, after he reports that they start glorifying God, they're happy for all the Gentiles that come into the kingdom. But now look, look what James says. It says in verse 20, And when they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Look what James says. He says, Great, all the Gentiles came in. Look around here in Jerusalem, how many thousands... Actually, the word there is tens of thousands. How many tens of thousands? So, minimally, there are 20,000 people that he's talking about. It was probably more than that, but he's saying how many tens of thousands, so minimally, it was 20,000, of Jews that have believed. You go to Israel today, Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah don't call themselves Messianic Jews. They call themselves believers, just like they... are, they say here. They call themselves believers. They call themselves believing Jews. That's, that's, that's the term that is used. In this country, they call them Messianic Jews. Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah. So, he says, look how many tens of thousands there are, and they're all zealous for the law. Huh? I thought they're no longer under the law. This is the beautiful thing about the Scriptures. We have a way of worshipping in this country that we think is Pretty right, and God must be pretty happy about the way we figured this thing out. We all come and we sit on these pews in church, and we sing three hymns or three contemporary songs. No, we we sing three contemporary songs. We have a message, and we say a prayer, and we go. This must be right. God was probably so happy because we figured this out. This is the pattern of worship. This is how things ought to be done. Now, you know I'm speaking sarcastically because you go to other parts of the country or other parts of the world and people sit on the floor. And they may think that they're holier than we are because they sit on the floor and we sit in a pew. I don't think God cares. Because if He cared, He would tell us in the Bible, Thou shalt sit on the floor when you're in, in, in church. You know, He would say that. And and, and uh, um, you, so so... There are different patterns. Some churches, you know, they get up and they sing and they dance. And I have no problem with that. You know, some people get really upset with churches that, you know, if somebody starts raising their hand, it's okay as long as it's not over their shoulder. And other churches, you know, they get upset. Why don't you raise your hands over your head? I don't think God cares either way. It's where your heart is everybody's got a different pattern. But look what he says of the believing Jews in Jerusalem at that time. He says they were all zealous for the law. They grew up under the law. What they grew up knowing was you practice the law. And what Paul preached is, you want to practice the law? Fine. But it won't save you. As a Jew, remember, circumcision? Fine. But it won't save you. Remember, it is... We, we can practice the law, not practice the law. You go to Israel today, you will find believing Jews wear a kippa, the yarmulke. They have the long tassels, because the Old Testament talks about not cutting the tassels. The kuppa is actually not, not from, from the scriptures, it's actually from the Babylonian Talmud. But they, they'll have the, they won't cut their sideburns, they'll wear the tassels as if they were under the law. But they're believing Jews, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, just like you do. They're saved just like you are. But they still have these practices, and that's okay. We have the practice where we hop in our SUV and drive to church and, and sing our three songs and hear a message and go home after being sure to give the offering. They won't miss that. And then we go home. That is what we do. And it's okay. That doesn't upset God. Doesn't, it's where our heart is. And so there's all these believing Jews, and look what they say in verse 21. And they have been told about you. James is saying to Paul, they've been told about you, that you're teaching all Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor nor to walk according to the customs. Now that's totally untrue, and James knows it. James knows that that is a false report that's going around among the believing Jews concerning Paul. Paul was not telling them Uh, to the, the Jews among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. He never did. He just said, the law of Moses isn't going to save you. You can practice all these things you want. They're just not going to save you. Remember, Paul was hurrying to try to get back to Jerusalem for what? For the Passover. He got delayed and then he hurried to get to Jerusalem for what? Pentecost. And that's what he's there for, the Pentecost. That's what it says. Why is he hurrying to get back for the Passover, the Pentecost, if he's not under the law? Because he's a Jew. We're going to see Paul stands up in his defense. He stands up. You know what he says? In his defense, he says in in, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, he says, I am a Christian. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I am a Jew. He says, I am a Jew. Paul was a Jew. He was born a Jew. He died a Jew. If it bothers you, you're wrong. All right? Paul was a Jew. And he always associated himself with a Jew. You go to believing Jews in Israel today, you say you're a Christian, and they say, I am not. I was born a Jew, I was circumcised on the eighth day, I fought in the Israeli army, and I'm going to die a Jew. And Christians try to convince, no, you can't be a Jew and a Christian. And they'll look at you like, can you be a Christian and believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Because so Jewish. It's so Jewish. It's so Jewish. So, Paul was never going around telling Jews not to circumcise. In fact, remember, he had Timothy circumcised because Timothy's mother was a Jew. So he's had Timothy circumcised. So, in fact, this was a rumor about Paul that was not true. And so, in verse 22, James gives him some advice. He says, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them, purify yourself, and so on. So what he tells Paul to do is, there are at least 20,000 believing Jews here who are kind of upset because of rumors they've heard about you, thinking that you're telling them to forsake the law. And we know this is not true about you, Paul. Remember, Paul took other vows. Remember, it says he got his hair cut in in Centre in because he was keeping a vow. That's the Nazarite vow from Numbers chapter 6. He says, "You go and you, you commit yourself to a Nazarite vow right now, Paul. So they'll know that you that, that you still practice the law." And so he says, "There are four men here. Take them along with you." And he says, "Purify yourselves. Pay their way. Pay their way for the Nazarite vow." You know, if you read in in in, in Numbers chapter six, the Nazarite vow, you had to you, you would. Do it for for prescribed time, and you would not cut your hair during that entire vow. Then you had to offer up one male lamb, one ewe lamb, one ram, uh, um, unleavened bread, a grain offering, a drink offering, and anything else that you could afford. Paul had to do that for himself and four other guys. He had five of these. Which meant that Paul was spending a lot of money. He was paying the whole way for himself and four other men to fulfill a Nazarite vow. Does that bother you? Good. Let the Scriptures bother you. That's what should happen with the Scriptures. The Scriptures, we should read it we go, oh, That's not the way I normally believe. Well, good. You're wrong. You learn differently. This is what life is. We're constantly learning. Paul would probably look at our church service and go, that's church service? Remember, they would go all night. You know, kids were falling off the balconies, remember? <laughs> so so this is what he did, and he fulfilled this. And it says and it says that, that um, take this, purify yourself, and then in, in verse twenty four, take them, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads, and all will know that there is nothing. To the things which you have have been told about you, but you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. Well, we'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look what Paul said about himself in this sort of thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. You see what he's saying? He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To those under the law, as under the law. Even though the law doesn't save me. Because, because actually in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, it says that the law itself, Paul himself said, the law doesn't save you. So he wasn't under the law for salvation. Circumcised, circumcising didn't save him. But he practiced the things of the law and especially around Jews, so that he might win them. You say, well, you know, that's situational ethics. Well, this is what he did. To the Jews, he lived as a Jew. Verse 21, to those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. So in other words, he's among the Gentile churches. He's not going through all the gazillion things that you have to do as being a Jew under the law that he might win those people. So it didn't bother Paul at all that there were certain people that lived under the law. That is a personal choice. Remember, we talked about this thing. We have messages on this. That it doesn't become legalism until we start putting it upon other people. We can do whatever we want for ourselves. But it becomes legalism when we take this practice and put it upon another. Whether that be drinking alcohol, whether that be... You know, eating pork, whatever it is. You can do whatever you want for yourself. But as soon as you put it upon another, that becomes legalism and we're not supposed to do that. The only time we're not supposed to practice what we might like to practice is if we're in a situation where it may offend somebody. And then it says, under the law of grace, refrain from doing that so you don't offend your brother that day. So, Paul very much did this thing. So he was in the temple observing this. Isn't that neat? That Paul would do this. This is not the Paul we think about. But this is the Paul that was there. He very much, because they said, look, and Paul never ever had a problem with the believing Jews again. They were convinced by this act that Paul was not teaching against the law. Paul never had a problem with the believing Jews after that. Verse 27 of Acts 21. Verse 27. And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This man who preaches to all men everywhere, he preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the holy place. For they had previously seen him with Trophimus, the Ephesian, ...in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to meet them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul... Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking him who he was and what he had done. Okay, so in verse 27, when the seven days were almost over, so they had set aside a vow for seven days. They were going to offer up their hair for seven days of growth of their hair, and they were going to to actually take and, and, and have all these offerings. When the seven days were almost complete, it says some Jews saw him in the temple... And started crying out and saying, this this is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple. He didn't bring any Greeks into the temple. And in fact, there were two courts. There was the outer court and the inner court. The outer court you could bring Gentiles into. Gentiles were free to come into the outer court. Gentiles were not free to come into the inner court. The outer court was actually called the court of the Gentiles. The inner court, they could not come in. And in fact, there was a sign. There was a sign that has been found and reported to say that, that uh, uh, any Gentile entering into this place, beyond this door, you are re- responsible for yourself for the death that will follow. And so they were allowed to protect their temple. Even the Romans gave them that right to protect the Gentiles. Gent- you say, why did Gentiles want to be in the court of the Gentiles? Because many Gentiles came to the Jewish faith. But they were not Jews. They were believing Gentiles that came to, the, came to faith in Judaism, but they never were Jews. They had to stay in the outer court. Only those who were Jews by birth could go in. That's just the way it was. And so, they thought Paul had brought people in there. He hadn't. And they started accusing him. Now, this is not believing Jews. This is unbelieving Jews. They started accusing him that he was teaching against the law in every place. He wasn't. Remember, it was the Jews, it says, from Asia... So where where Paul had been witnessing in Asia Minor, they saw him there. And they figured that he brought people in. He says he's teaching against our law and against this place, against this temple. He never taught against the temple. This is all fabrication. It is all lies. Have you ever been lied about? Has anyone ever said anything about you that wasn't true? Yeah. Do you feel good about that? No, it's bothersome, right? Right. When somebody starts saying things about you that aren't true. This is exactly what happened to Paul. All the time. And to Jesus. All the time. This is part of life. So you're going to have to learn to get over it. You're going to have to learn how to forgive and move on. And Paul was an amazing man in what he was able to do. And it says that... that. then they accused him of defiling the temple. Now, if you defile the temple, the Roman government had given the right to the Jews to, to have a trial and to have an execution for defilement of the temple. That's why they always tried to get Jesus on defilement of the temple, saying that he said he would destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. But when they raised up witnesses, one said he said that, that uh, 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 he could Destroy it. The other said he would destroy it, and so their testimony didn't agree. They didn't have two people in agreement. But they were allowed to defend their temple. But it had to be with a trial, not in a, a, in a mass confusion. It had to be with a trial. So they were violating their own law by trying to kill him without a trial. And the city got in, in such confusion that it was reported to, to, the, the, uh, to the Roman cohort... Now, now, there's an Antonio Fortress. The Antonio Fortress would overlook the temple compound. And that bothered the Jews in those days, but, but, you know, they were under domination by the Romans. And it says that they rushed down with two... Uh, uh, he rushed down and he took some soldiers and centurions. So, each centurion had a hundred soldiers. So, it's centurions. So, it's at least 200 soldiers come running out of the Antonio Fortress. I don't care how tough you think you are. If you have 200 soldiers running toward you, you just stop. It's okay. We're all friends. You know, no problems here. And they just stop. They had been beating Paul and they just stop because 200, at least 200, we don't know how many centurions came, but it's, since it's plural, it's at least 200 soldiers come running out. And, and they grab Paul and, and, so they, they, and they put him in chains and they start questioning him. As to what, what's been done here. So in verse 33, then the commander came, took hold of him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains, and he began to ask him what he had done. But among the crowd were some shouting one thing, and some another, and when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he got to the stairs, he carried, when he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob for the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting away with him. So so the, the the commander here tried to figure out what is going on here. And people are shouting one thing and another. Finally, they had to drag him out of there. They get to the steps and they're being so hounded by this by this mob of people that they actually have to pick Paul up and carry him up the stairs. So this is a real mass confusion. Just because problems arise in life, doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking against the will of God. This was very much in the will of God, and there was mass confusion going on, and sometimes believers see another believer going through something in their life and they think, Wow, well, they must have sinned. They're going through that. Look at the problems. They must have sinned. Not necessarily. You can be very much in the will of God and problems arise. Look at Jesus. I mean, problems all the time. People coming against him all the time. Mobs and confusion. And the same thing they said about Jesus, they say here to Paul. Away with him. And so we're going to see, for the life of Paul, what Paul's response is to these lies. To this beating. Remember, they are beating him, it says, and they're trying to kill him. A mass of people are beating him. If, if it had gone 60 seconds of beating, you can't, you can't live for 60 seconds when a group of people is trying to beat you to death, you can't live. They're kicking you, they're stomping on you. This must have all happened very quickly. that Paul is still alive is just by the grace of God. So maybe for 30 seconds, for 20 seconds, he's being beaten upon by the time these soldiers run out, because after 60 seconds, that's it. But Paul came that close to losing his life, right there, killed in the temple compound, that close. In service to God. And he has these people lying and accusing him. Lying about him and accusing him. And then you see that in, in, in as we're going to look at next time, he looks at them and he says, My brethren and my fathers. Th- th- how, how this man could respond in this way. Remember what would happen. You know, if, if someone just looks at me a little bit, you know, I'm like, you lousy. You know, I'm just telling you this is it. But Paul, I mean, he falsely accused, beaten, kicked, that spit upon, saying, "Kill the man." And Paul's response is totally just a different response, one out of love. So, what we're going to study? How can this be? How can a man be this way? You know, we're, we could call them my brethren, and my fathers. I don't know you lousy, cheating, stinking guys. You did me, I didn't do it. You're accusing me of I didn't do. Find one Greek that I brought in here. No, he didn't do that. Response is totally different. You look at this, you say, this can only happen because of the Holy Spirit. There is no man that can be like this. There's no person that can be like this. It has to be because of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Father, thank You that You love believers who love You and who, who worship however they, that they want to worship, Lord. Father, I thank You. I pray, Lord, for these young people that as they go and they grow and they, they see different places and they see different things, not to make judgments about others, but, Father, to be able to release in that. And Father, I pray that you would so work in their lives to see that their lives aren't there to, to just have security and protection, but it's there to witness Christ. Come what may, it's to witness Christ. Father, I pray for these young people that you would give them a hunger and desire for the Word of God, to read it, to see what the Scriptures really say, and then also to see that you speak to them a message specifically through the Scriptures that You speak to them a message. Father, thank You for this Word. I pray, Lord, that You would teach us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ through the Scriptures. In the name of Jesus, Amen.